You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. All right, we're looking at these uh, summer nights and Selah moments as we go through May, June, July, and all the way through August, looking at the book one of the Psalms. And we're not going to be taking them in chronological order, or numerical order, I'm sorry. We are going to be looking at these just in in different groupings. And the reason for that is because I want to look at different kinds of psalms each night. So what do I mean by that? Well, last week we introduced that there were 10 different categories of psalms. And they're not all the number one category, like it shows there on my table. But there are 10 different categories, and each one of them has a grouping of psalms that fall into them as categories. That first one there is praise. There are many psalms of praise. There are also psalms of thanksgiving and trust. Psalms of wisdom. Psalms of lament when the, the, the psalmist is pouring out his heart before the Lord. There's also psalms of imprecation. Royal psalms. Psalms that proclaim God as king. There's the messianic psalms, of course. And then there are psalms about Zion itself, which seems to be kind of a picture of the coming good, the future that God has for the church and for those that have trusted in his promises. And it always centers around Jerusalem there. And, and, and we'll get into all of those. But tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 5, which is a psalm of imprecation, And Psalm 6, which is a psalm of lament. We'll start off with Psalm 5. We're not going to get too much into Psalm 6 tonight, other than that we're going to read it together in a community worship style. But in Psalm 5, I want to break this down, because this psalm has a lot packed into it. And it's also a psalm of imprecation. And psalms of imprecation are a little bit difficult. We'll put it that way. Imprecation means to curse. So these are psalms in which the psalmist is calling out to God for vengeance upon enemies of the psalmist. These psalms reflect a very strong desire on the part of the psalmist for retribution. He's asking God for retributive justice that will ultimately repay the wicked for what they have done. And it makes sense to people who live in the real world. Just as I said before, this, this evening I was asked to do the convocation for the ceremony there for the memorial of fallen service officers, uh, law enforcement officers. And, and so the fact that I was standing there to do that prayer before so many people is a reminder to me that evil exists in our world. We live in an evil world where men and women will go to great lengths to resist the law, to break the law, and then to resist the law, and to even avoid justice. And we live in this world. We're surrounded by it. Where sin and evil give way to horrible offenses against innocent and defenseless lives. The desire for divine justice has really been built in to every single one of us. If you don't believe that, then just stick your hands up in the air. I'll be long shortly to grab your wallet and your purse, if you don't mind. You see, whenever we're wronged, 
we suddenly have a desire to see that wrong made right, don't we? (laughs) And so there are people out there that might believe in a utopian society and, hey, we're all getting better and uh, human beings are inherently good and all of that, but all of that changes when you kick them in the shin. And, and then relativism no longer works, right? What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. That doesn't work when somebody's not playing by the rules. And so the Psalms of imprecation are cries for divine justice. And they come from a person who's been hurt deeply. They come from a person who is dealing with real-life situations and suffering under the oppression of evil. Sometimes evil enemies in the form of people, but sometimes evil spirits. And and that's something that we can do with these psalms of imprecation. We can can take these psalms and apply them to the spiritual evil that comes against us. It's a great way to read the psalms of imprecation is to realize, hey, we're praying this against the demons and against Satan who's got it out for us and is sometimes coming to destroy us, would love to destroy lives. And so when we see it in that light, when you have seen true acts of evil face to face, trust me, you will long for divine justice. Divine retribution will be something that you look for. Now let me be clear. The Psalms of imprecation are not some sort of a Christian jihad okay they're not some sort of a judas uh, a judaistic jihad or alt-right christian jihad okay the secular world does not understand christianity and so they'll very easily group christianity with religions like islam where they do proclaim jihad in the name of allah and they believe that it's right to murder and and, and in cowardless acts of violence to go out and to destroy. But that's not Christianity. That's not what a psalm of imprecation is. You see, these are prayers that are expressed to God. They're seeking for God's justice and intervention. Never ever should we think that these are prayers that would lead us to acts of violence. We, We should never read a psalm of imprecation and think, yeah, that's what God wants me to do to you. That would be wrong. Now, you might ask the question tonight as we get into the psalm of imprecation, how in the world do these Old Testament psalms of imprecation, how do they harmonize with the gospel and with Christ's teaching that we're to love our enemies and forgive our enemies and even pray for our enemies? How do these harmonize? Here you got David saying, break his teeth, Lord. And then you got Jesus going, love your enemies, forgive them, pray for them. How do these harmonize? Well, listen, the answer to that question is found in the person of Jesus Christ himself. You see, we have to remember that as we follow Christ's teachings, we also are comforted in knowing that Christ himself is the ultimate judge. He will one day bring about an end to evil. Jesus Christ himself will one day right all wrongs. And so even while we deal with real life situations and we pour our hearts out to God, we never take out retribution for ourselves. We never take vengeance for ourselves. 
but we pour it out to God and then we realize in the same breath that Jesus Christ is capable of saving that enemy. And so we can pray for them. And we can even come to a place in our own life where we're free to forgive. So the answer is found in the person of Jesus Christ himself. And we're allowed, in fact, even encouraged to bring our hearts before the Lord, to pour ourselves out before the Lord like David does. It's not personal vengeance that these psalms of imprecation are seeking for. What are they seeking for? They're seeking for God's intervention. And that's a good thing. God's intervention is always a good thing, especially when we're facing evil. Now, Psalm 5 has five clear stanzas or groupings in it. Three of them are addressed to God, and two of them are addressed to the people that are uh, really coming against David. The subject of the psalm asks the question, how should I deal with situations where people are trying to take me down? Have any of you ever faced a situation at work or in your family or in a, a, a team of some sort where suddenly everybody's got it out for you and they're willing to slander you, they're willing to talk behind your back, they're willing to spread lies about you and to try to uh, undo the good things that you have done. How should I deal with situations where people are trying to take me down? Well, this psalm tells us that by taking the matter to the Lord, first thing every day, that's your solution. Taking the things in your life to the Lord, take that matter before the Lord and cry out to Him. The main idea in Psalm 5 is a prayer for help from God in a hostile situation. We've all faced hostile situations. Unfortunately, people don't play nice. Unfortunately, people like to backbite and gossip and tell lies and slander. It's it's unfortunate. And if you think it doesn't happen, just go down to your local preschool. Go down to your local elementary school and observe the children for a while. Remember our daughter, Eden, when we enrolled her in the preschool program in Costa Rica there, in the village that we lived in, in Villarreal. And it was so interesting watching her go to school every day. They wear a little blue uniform, you know, a little dress. And the reason they do that is because that way everybody looks the same. There's no, there's no one there that's dressed in a real rich-looking way and then others that are not dressed as nice. And there's no, that way there's not as much discrimination in that way. But no one had to teach these kids how to discriminate against one another. It's part of our human nature, isn't it? And sure enough, it wasn't long before my little girl in her blue dress, even though she looked kind of like all the other girls from Costa Rica, there were still some major differences, believe it or not, including that blonde hair and that skin with no pigmentation that she got from her father. But it wasn't long before some ugliness started to come out. And and the way that they treated her and the things they said about her. And it hurt. And I watched the tears flow from my little girl. She was in a hostile environment. What do we do when we're in those kind of situations? Well, David simply begins by asking that God would hear him. He says, hear me, Lord, in verses 1 through 3. Let's read it together. Psalm, one, or Psalm 5, verse 1. He says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider 
my meditation. That word meditation, if you want to circle it and write in your margin, it means groaning or murmur. It's speaking of a barely audible conversation to the Lord. Now, I perfectly understand this, and I'm sure you will too, especially when you know how I wake up in the morning. See, I wake up in the morning, and the last thing I want to do is jump and shout and sing, okay? Everything starts off real slow and quiet. Starts off with a murmur. Morning, Lord, you know? <laughs> and, and it's kind of a slow start, but it's a quiet conversation. That's what this is. He says, give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. Here King David is recognizing he too is a man under authority. He grounds his prayer in faith by crying out to his king and to his God. David was a young boy that was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. Yet notice his humility. He notes, hey, you're my king. Do you know that every single one of you has a king? (laughs) Not everybody's willing to recognize that. But one day Jesus Christ will come and every knee will bow. And every tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the scriptures tell us. But David is willing to admit that now. Are you willing to admit that? Maybe you're a CEO. Maybe you're you're a head honcho. Maybe you're a manager. And you think, I'm big stuff. (laughs) I'm the leader. I'm the one who makes the decisions and calls the shots. But listen, even you have a king. Even you have someone that's above you in the chain of authority. It doesn't matter if you're President Trump. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire. It doesn't matter uh, if you run the local McDonald's here in town. We all answer to somebody, don't we? We all answer to somebody, and David recognizes that. But notice, too, that that's who he's coming to. He realizes, hey, I'm coming to God. My king and my God, that's the one I'm going to pray to. Do you have that understanding with the Lord? Or do you look to yourself? Are you looking to your own strength? David realizes he has a personal, intimate relationship with his Lord. And that's who he's going to run to. Verse 3. He says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Notice twice that repetition of in the morning. Now, some of you that are night people are groaning already. You're murmuring already. I don't know where he's going with this one. Well, it is important actually here that this phrase is used twice. It's very purposeful. You see, this psalm is a morning prayer. It's a prayer meant to be prayed in the morning because it is birthed from a situation of real need. David is facing a time when he was exposed to corrupt people. These people wanted to take him down. He couldn't wait till the end of the day to pour out his heart to the Lord. He was going to face them in an hour. Some of you are are already picking up on the application here. You're going to work at 5.30, 6 in the morning. Hey, listen. Make sure that the first thing you do in the morning is turn your heart to the Lord. Even if it's just a quiet, barely audible conversation, turn your heart to the Lord. Now, 
David was facing a time here when he was in the court of Saul. The background here, it's believed that as he was a harpist before Saul, there were those in that court of Saul that desired to promote themselves at the expense of David. Word had gotten out, no doubt. There's the guy. That's the one who's been anointed, the next king. Then, of course, after David killed Goliath, it only got worse. He had myriads of young ladies running around in the streets going, Saul's killed his thousands, but David, David, he's, he's hot. You know, David is the man. He was popular with all the ladies. And Saul was just getting more and more jealous, wasn't he? And whatever the case, though, in the background, it, it, it's causing David to seek the Lord first thing in the morning. We need to start off our morning by lifting up our thoughts, our prayers, our minds to the Lord. This is going to help you and me to find peace. It's going to help us to find direction as we face the day. And you know what? We're going to go into that day realizing I am not alone. (laughs) I am not alone. So this is not a question of being legalistic, guys. It's not a question of, I'm not a legalist. Say, you have to do this. But rather, guys, this is a question of priority. If I don't start my day in God's presence, I know how I'll finish that day. I'll finish that day in mourning. (laughs) If I don't start my morning in God's presence, I'll end in mourning. Full of regrets. Full of regrets and perhaps fires in my life that I need to put out, burned bridges. I'll tell you what, I have enough fires with starting my day right. I can't imagine what it would be like if I didn't start my morning, bringing my heart to the Lord, bringing my mind to the Lord. So now David continues his prayer in verses four through six by asking our God and King not only to hear him, but also to help him. Verses four through six. It says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell in you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Listen, David is envisioning here God as a champion. In these verses, you get the sense that God is a champion of justice. And guess what? He is. He's a God who is against those who are evil. He supports those that are in the right. This isn't merely just talking about faith and the righteousness that is imparted to us through faith in Christ. This is before Jesus Christ. This is talking specifically about those who are doing what's right. And they're on the right side of the law. God supports them. But he's against lawbreakers and evildoers. David points out here the integrity and the purity of the divine judge. No doubt David knows, just as we also know, that David could never stand on his own righteousness before him. David realizes that, that if God was to turn uh, to, to David's life and begin to scrutinize David's life, he would be condemned just like everyone else. But here David is in the right. And so instead of you know, being afraid of the divine judge, David can run to the divine judge. Hey, listen, did you know that if you're in Christ tonight, you're always in God's good grace? 
You always are in God's favor, and you can always run to the divine judge in times of need. Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, that we're to run to the presence of God. Too many Christians are afraid of God. Too many Christians are are living in condemnation. But here, the divine judge is on our side, and he's on David's side. The same judge who would destroy us because of our sin becomes our refuge when we find our faith placed in Jesus Christ. What does it mean there in verse 5 when it says that you hate all the workers of iniquity? That's a strong statement. Is that compatible with John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are these two statements compatible? How can God hate all who do evil and yet love the world at the same time? Well, let's answer that question. Let's look at that. This is possible. It's possible for God to have a hatred of evildoers and yet a love for the world, which is full of evildoers, at the same time, because in God, hatred is not as much of a feeling or an emotion as it is a judicial act. Let me repeat that. In God, hatred is not as much of a feeling or an emotion. That's what we know it as. But in God, it is more of a judicial act and a decision that he has to make. Because of his character. His hate is not like your hate and my hate. You know, human hate is a strong emotional dislike or distaste for someone or something. But God's hate is an act of a righteous judge who must put away unrighteousness and deal with evil. He has to. God, as judge, is separate from the sinner. He's completely righteous. He's completely holy. And therefore, he's completely separate from sin and sinners. He's not even in the same category. So hatred, when it's talking about hatred of evildoers or those that do wrong things, sinners, this, what, what this is saying is, is that God is separating himself from those that do evil But that doesn't contradict his love for them. You see, in his love, God gives the world an opportunity for their sins to be forgiven and for them to be made friends with God again. So God, in his holiness, is separated from the sinner. And he hates every act of sin. Yet God, in his love, has provided a way for those sinners to be forgiven to be reconciled, to be made friends again with him. We might think of it a little bit like this. This last Easter Sunday, our family was enjoying an Easter egg hunt in our front yard in the afternoon after we finally got home from everything, right? Easter's fun. It's good times. But there in our Easter, in our front yard, we were having that Easter egg hunt just for fun, something that we do. It's a family tradition. But there had been lots of days of rain before we did our Easter egg hunt. So we had standing water in our ditch there in front of the street. 
And as they were looking for eggs, my son Ezekiel, he suddenly froze and, and said, guys, there's a snake right here. And he slowly backed away. I was so proud of him. He didn't freak out and, you know, run or do anything. He just slowly backed away from it. And, and, and me and Rebecca were kind of freaking out. We wanted to make sure everybody was safe. Once we realized, okay, everybody's out of harm's way, what did I do? I went to the shop and I got a machete. And I got a machete and I went out in my front yard and we said, okay, now where's that snake? Because we're going to deal with this snake. There's no way I'm going to leave this snake living in my front yard while my kids are wandering around without shoes on. And so pretty soon our neighbor came out and he's like, man, you guys do Easter egg hunts really weird, you know? <laughs> and, and I chopped the head off of this water moccasin. It was about that long. It was hiding in the grass. And I couldn't even see its head. And I was just like guessing. I'm like, okay, I just took my best swing, you know, and... And, and out of the grass came this, this head, this water moccasin head just lunging for me, right? Came up about three, four feet short, but still, it was kind of scary. But listen, what, why am I telling you that story? Well, I wanted to, I'm not going to allow a snake to hang out in my front yard that's dangerous like that. A snake that could hurt and kill and poison my kids. So I'm going to protect my kids. I'm going to make sure they're safe. Then I'm going to deal with the problem. In the same way, guys, God is justified in dealing with sinners who seek to poison and to hurt and to destroy other people's lives. It isn't out of anger that he does it. It's out of love. It's out of love that God deals with sin. Oh, and by the way, you might not like this, but God is also justified in dealing with those things in my own life, too, for the same reason. Because he loves me. Because he loves you. God loves us. And so he's going to deal with those things, those snakes. Now, as we saw last week in Psalm 1 and verse 6 as well, if you want to flip back to Psalm 1 and verse 6, David told us, he said, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, ultimately, that verse is telling us that all mankind is going to reap one of two harvests. The harvest of God's hatred upon all who do evil in eternal torment. Or the harvest of God's love upon all who by grace through faith have placed their trust in Jesus Christ and received the gift of salvation. So God's justice demands that sin be punished. However, God's love took that punishment took that punishment upon his own son, Jesus Christ. He carried it for us. And now David asks God to lead him in the midst of this stressful situation. Look at verse 7 and 8. But as for me, David says, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Let's pause right there. David here has to tread very carefully because Saul and his servants are watching his every move. That's what caused David to cry out here. That's why he wrote this psalm. It's been said for every sigh, 
There's a psalm. That's true. David woke up with a heart heavy, stressed out, worried that this might be his last day. And yet, here he is. He's, he's pouring out his heart now to the Lord and asking the Lord to lead me. He comes to the house of the Lord and looks for mercy. I love that. David's manifesting another human trait here. He wants justice for everybody else, but mercy for himself, right? Isn't that how we are? Take him down, Lord. But in my case, mercy. In my case, have mercy. But, but we can find mercy in the Lord's house. We can find mercy in God's presence. But notice here in verse 8, he said, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. He's asking for God to lead him, to help him, to guide him. That's a good prayer for anybody who's dealing with a situation like this, a hostile situation. God, lead me in, in your righteousness. Show me your will today. Show me how to deal with these people. Show me how to deal with this situation, Lord. And Lord, have mercy on me. Now, in the fourth stanza of Psalm 5, David prays for protection, and he asks for God's judgment on his enemies. He says, For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Notice David gives a description of the, the enemy, what they're doing. He says there's no faithfulness in their mouth. That means that they're talking in lies. They they have flattering speech. But they're they're actually hateful in the intent of their words. Their inward part is destruction. That means that they wanted to end David's life. They're, They're really seeking to destroy David here. So these are really serious threats. David's fearing for his life. He feared that they would steal away what God was giving to him. And so he says in verse 10, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Let them be caught in their own traps, Lord. That's essentially what he says there. Let them be caught in their own sins. Now, verse 10 is the real reason for this psalm. This is the main subject. This is the center, central idea. This is why it's called a psalm of imprecation. David here is seeking divine justice for his enemies. He's asking God to hold them guilty. Again, we have to see this in light of the New Testament reality that ultimately it's Jesus Christ who will be the judge of the living and the dead. So we can take these things to the Lord in prayer though, just like David is doing here. And he's, he's laying it out. He's, he's being real. He said, God, hold them guilty. Judge them. Let them be caught in their own traps. Let them be caught with the consequences of their own actions. You know, that's actually a, true, a, a truth in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, if you leave people to their own ways long enough, eventually they'll, they'll catch up to them. I think there's a saying in Northeast Texas, if it's not here, then it's somewhere. But if you give a guy enough rope, he'll hang himself with it, right? If you give someone enough rope, they'll go out and they'll find, they'll get into all kinds of trouble with it. 
And that's the same thing. I don't know if that's Northeast Texas. I was making that up. All right. <clears throat> it sounded like it could be. So I was just grasping for straws there. But Ronnie will fill me in afterwards, I'm sure. He, he, knows, he knows the Northeast Texan version. He's got a dictionary, I'm sure of it. Anyways, now David's going to move on. He's going to, we're wrapping up the psalm here by focusing now on his enemies to his own position and the position of all that are in the right. He ends it by looking at God and he asks God to bless him. Verse 11, he says, but let all these, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. So the psalm ends here with a change in David's heart. You can see it. It's obvious. After David has brought all of these hard things to the Lord, and remember, he's bringing it to the Lord, he in no way at any time is going to go out and seek personal revenge. We know this because even when he could have killed Saul, remember when Saul was laying down in front of him, asleep, and David took his water bottle and and his spear, he could have easily stuck that spear right into Saul's body. But he chose not to do that because he knew that it was not God's will for him to seek personal vengeance. So these psalms of imprecation, they're not about personal vengeance, they're about crying out to God for intervention. But notice how his heart has changed. He knows he's been hurt. He knows that he's able to rejoice now. What's more, he can even shout for joy there. David knows he's not righteous because of his own merit, but because God defends him, he can shout for joy. I love that. Our faith in Jesus Christ is a shield that protects us from fear. It protects us from the wiles of the devil. And it roots us and grounds us in joy. Christians, we don't need that anxiety medication. We don't need what the world is trying to sell us to deal with the worries that we face and the fears that we have. You see, the Bible instructs us here that God himself defends those that are in the right and, and, and by being in Christ, the Bible tells us his righteousness is imputed to us. And so we have a defender. We have someone who wraps his shield about us and protects us, grounds us in a deep-rooted joy. Doesn't have anything to do with our temporary circumstances. Has everything to do with him. So the progression of this psalm then is so important, as you've seen. It started out as a murmur. It became a quiet cry. Then it turned into a complaint against his enemies. And it ends here with rejoicing. God, lead me, protect me. Now, bless me, Lord. Bless me with the joy that comes from knowing I'm defended by you. Guys, that is a great example of a prayer that we can use when we're facing situations of hostility. And again, it's all pouring out our heart to the Lord. I think there's so much merit in, in, in bringing our complaints to the Lord first and coming to the Lord with what's going on in our lives, starting early in the morning. 
In the morning, Lord, I'm going to seek you. Even if all I can do is murmur and and groan, I'm going to do that to you, Lord. Because that's what matters the most. That's the priority. You're my defender. We're going to wrap this up tonight, just as I said before, by looking at Psalm 6. I'm going to say a couple of things about Psalm 6, and then we're going to read it together, just like we did last week when we read the Psalm of Praise, Psalm 9. But this is a psalm of lament. Psalm 6 is actually a psalm of lament. And if you remember, lament is a psalm that is really going to just, whoops, be about pain. It's an expression of sorrow in the midst of painful circumstances. And David is going to really be transparent. In fact, you're going to see that he's to the point where he's crying himself to sleep at night. Anybody ever been in that boat? <laughs> in that bed, I should say, where you're just so, just so distraught. You're weeping at night as you go to sleep, and you're crying yourself to sleep. Well, that's what David was doing. He was at a low point in his life. Now, we don't know exactly what was happening, but we think he was either seriously ill or wounded and was at the point almost of dying. He was so sick, he thought he was going to die. And he's so despair, he's in so much despair that he's weeping himself to sleep every night. But this psalm, he he cries out to God for help, and we're going to see that the Lord hears his prayer, just like the Lord hears our prayers, just like the Lord is there to listen to us. The Lord is going to hear his prayer. So what I'm going to ask is that you guys would uh, help me read this, and, and I've got the first three verses set aside for us to read all together. Then there's two sections that I'm going to read to you guys. And then uh, we're going to read the last section, verses 8 through 10, all together. So you guys are going to read verses 1 through 3 and verses 8 through 10. And this time it's going to be in the New King James Version of the Bible. And then the way that we're going to end this tonight is just to take some quiet moments. Again, remember the the, the theme for this summer is Uh, Summer Nights and Selah Moments. Our Selah moment tonight is going to be just spending the last few moments of our service in quiet. You can spread out if you want. You can go to a different part of the sanctuary. You can come down to the altar, of course, and pray. But meditating on Psalm 6 and just asking the Lord if there's anything from this psalm that he wants to speak to you about. If there's anything in here that that he wants to stir your heart and and maybe the Holy Spirit just stir your heart and speak to you through, okay? So that's how we're going to finish our night. So uh, if you guys wouldn't mind, let's stand to our feet with our hymn books in our hands, the Psalms, the, the Bible, or you can read off of the screen. I'll have the New King James Version on the screen, okay? So David starts off with a cry for help. Are we all ready? Okay, here we go. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me, in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? 
Return, O Lord, deliver me. Save me for your enemy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Then he says, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. And then this one's together. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. All right, we're going to break now. and you can, you can be seated where you're at or you can spread out. You can come down to the altar, take your Bible, and just meditate on the words there of Psalm 6.